we believe God is blank, therefore blank. And let me show you what I mean, how you use this. So you would write out, again, taking one of my beliefs, we believe God is sovereign, therefore we will trust him in all of life's circumstances. So that's how you would work this out. And then actually write out these phrases and have a conversation with your family and say, what is it that we believe? We believe. We believe. Nosotros creemos. We believe that God saves. We believe God is a redeemer. We believe God is strength. Therefore, we will do our part and we will let him do the saving. Therefore, it's going to redeem us. Therefore, be strong and courageous. We believe. We believe. We believe God is the author of our story, so we don't need to doubt or worry about the future. We believe God is gracious, therefore we can forgive and we can live forgiven. We believe in God. Revolution family, hoye! Hoye! Revolution family, hoye! Hoye! We believe. 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 Man, that is just incredible, isn't it? Man, hearing all those people, not only different ages, different generations, but literally different continents. And you got to hear some from our churches in Kenya, and I love it. Like, oh, yeah, it just makes me feel like, man, I love those guys. And uh, if you haven't written out a We Believe statement and said, oh, yeah, then you need to, all right? Uh, come on, what have you been doing with your life over these last two months, all right? Uh, and so make sure if you haven't already, take some time uh, as a family, especially if you're new today and you don't even know what I'm talking about, all right? But there in that short little video clip, you, you saw just the basic format of what we've been talking about over the last several weeks in this campaign that we're doing called We Believe. And we started it coming out of Easter because we really wanted to help our church during this time to write out some personal theology statements, because especially when you're going through a pandemic, a worldwide pandemic, but literally every day of your life, whether there's a pandemic or not, you, you got to know what your beliefs uh, are, what your bedrock belief system, as we've been calling it, so that you can then know, man, this is what I believe. And so therefore, I can trust God. I can trust God in this circumstance. I can trust God in that circumstance. I can trust God to do what he said that he's going to do. And so we've been really just encouraging our church over the last month to write out those we believe statements. And you guys, man, have done it. It's such an incredible job picking up yard signs, putting them in your yards. Every time I'm out uh, in our different locations or different areas of our city, man, just seeing those signs is so encouraging to communicate not only what you believe, but to speak it, right? To really write it down and then communicate. And so if you haven't done that already, please take a moment to do that. Continue to share those on social media because we want people to know not only what you believe, but we want them to have the opportunity to really think about what it is 
that they believe. And so maybe people that don't go to our church or friends that you have that go to other churches, or maybe they don't have a belief in God, this has become a kind of a conversation starter, if you will, to talk about what your beliefs are. And I hope that's been encouraging to you, not only encouraging yourself, your family, but then again, using it as a platform to share what you believe with other people. Another thing that we've been doing that calling our church to kind of from a campaign standpoint is not only this We Believe campaign, but the 404 prayer campaign, where a lot of churches in Atlanta have just gotten together and said, man, we want to pray together. And what's been amazing is just a lot of the churches in our church planning network and then kind of really beyond that now, just friends of churches that we all have relationships with in this area, just coming together every day to pray. And so as a church, we just simply ask you, and really what I've done is set an alarm on my phone at 4.04 every day, and when that thing goes off, I pray. And there's been times where I've been in a Zoom call or having conversations with somebody or even driving down the road, and that alarm goes off, and, and we stop and pray. Now, if I'm driving, I don't stop, literally, and close my eyes and pray, but just praying. And there's been some meetings that I've been in. I'm like, all right, let's, let's stop and pray. And it's just a reminder every day for us between now and the end of May, Pentecost Sunday, to pray to just set aside at least four minutes every day at 4.04 p.m., joining together as the church in Atlanta, praying for God to move in our midst. Obviously praying for God to do away with the COVID virus, right? To, to give us grace and wisdom, to keep people healthy. And then more than anything, for God to move miraculously in our churches. And so if you're not watching or you're logging on during social media at 404, we moved our uh, devotional prayer times that we were doing at, at noon now to this 404 time. And so there's just a short message from one of the pastors that's involved in this, kind of leading in a short devotional and then a time of prayer. So make sure that you're watching that every day, 404, and then praying with us. All right. Now. We're going to get back into Romans. It's been about five weeks or so since we've been in Romans because we did Easter and then we did the We Believe series. And now we're going to go back into the book of Romans and it'll take us through uh, really the first part of July. And so if you've got a Bible, you can open up to Romans chapter 14. That's where we're going to be today. And I'm going to back up a few verses and, and hit a few verses in the last sermon, because again, it was the week before Easter was the last message that we did on this. And so I'm going to back up a few verses in chapter 14, starting in verse 10. But our primary text for today is verses 13 through 23 of Romans chapter 14. All right. So again, if you got a Bible, you can go ahead and open there and then pray with me as we jump into the text today. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for who you are and what you're doing. God, it is really a privilege and an honor to not only communicate your word, but to just be a part of what you're doing in the world. And God, we know that with all the, the pandemic that has gone on, there's just a lot of uncertainty, God, um, health-wise, financial-wise, economic-wise. And so God, I just pray that you would move in our midst. God, the people that are crying out to you, maybe for the first time, God, thank you for that. And then those that have trusted you for years, God, that maybe they're just going through a crisis of their own or having hardships. God, I pray that you would move in their midst. And I pray, God, that as we open up your word today, that you would not only help me, God, but you would help us all to listen, to hear, to see what you would have for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, Romans chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 10. And again, I hope you guys have uh, enjoyed being logging, uh, logging on with us online every weekend. Our, our staff and primarily my wife, my lovely wife, put out in the audience today 
pictures of a lot of you. And so you are here in pictures on a lot of our seats in the auditorium here in Canton so I can see your lovely faces. Uh, so I'm just going to pretend like you're here with me because I know you're there, all right, but I'm going to pretend like you're here in service. So I might even call out to some of you even though you didn't know that you were sitting here with me, all right? So Romans chapter 14, again, we get this back up a little bit in verse 10. It says this, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now we've already covered those verses. Again, that's kind of context. And then verse 13 is the start of our verses today. So let me read that and then I'll explain it all. It says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. So again, if you think back to that text that we used on the week before Easter, the whole ending of it was talking about how we as believers, we are not people who pass judgment. And the primary reasoning for that, and again, you think about just the whole structure of Romans, chapters 1 through 11, is about the gospel and how we're saved. Then chapters 12 through 16 is how we live in light of that. And so now in chapter 14, he's talking about how we relate to one another as believers, how we relate to each other. And he says the main thing that we don't do in our relationships with each other is we don't pass judgment on one another. We don't pass judgment on one another. And the primary motive for giving to why we don't do that is because all of us will stand before God and face our own judgment. Now, the point that I made then is when we take the place of judgment, we take the place of Jesus. Jesus is the only one who has the right to be the judge, primarily because he's God, but also because when he became human, he lived perfectly. So he's the only one who can judge, right? He's the only one who can, can make a determination because he doesn't have sin in and of himself. And that's why the Bible says, you know, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. Well, Jesus is the only one who can judge judicially and righteously. But we don't have that privilege. We are not called to take that position. That's Jesus's position. And so in light of that, Paul says, therefore, now, again, I say this often, whenever the word is, you see the word therefore, you always ask yourself, what is it? Therefore, again, if you're watching, you know, I like for you to call and respond. You can talk back to your screen. All right. So let's try that again. Whenever you see the word, therefore, you say, what is it? What is it there for? All right. So that's calling back, which is why it's important for us to know the context of this. And so Paul says, therefore, let us not pass judgment any longer. Now, if he says not pass judgment any longer, he's assuming we've been passing judgment. He's saying don't do it any longer, which means you are doing it. And this is one of the things that about Christians, I got to be honest with you, it's one of my biggest pet peeves in following Christ. In fact, there's a phrase that, that I, I use, and we're really in the process of creating some family values for our church. And one of the family values that I want for our church family is this phrase. And the phrase is, assume the best. Assume the best. When it comes to relationships with other people, let's be honest, none of us assume the best. What do we do? We always assume the worst. We always assume the worst. 
about other people's intentions. We always assume the worst, like when we have a conversation or somebody texts us, says, hey, I need to talk to you. Your brain automatically goes to worst case scenario because we are all you know, trying to survive in this world. And so we're all kind of have this flight or fight response, right? Where we don't know how to respond. We just automatically assume it's going to be negative or we assume the worst about a person or if somebody says something, you know, in a text message or on a Facebook post or in some kind of social media thing, you automatically assume the worst about that person. If it's you're like, oh, what are they meaning there? And that's one of my biggest pet peeves because I think as Christians, we should do the exact opposite. As Christians, we should assume the best. We should assume the best about other people. And frankly, I think we should assume the worst about ourselves. We should assume the worst about our own intentions and assume the best about others' intentions. And so when Paul says, let us not pass judgment any longer, he understands what it means to be human. I mean, he's writing this to humans. He's writing this to the church that's in Rome. And so obviously he understands that the default human response, again, and this is why all of us, when we come to Christ, are sinners. We have what the Bible calls a flesh. And when you're saved, you get a new spirit. You get the Holy Spirit in you. But we still wrestle with our flesh. And our flesh's response is to assume the worst. But I believe by grace, in Christ, by the Spirit, we now should assume the best. We shouldn't just pass judgment any longer. Then Paul says this, but rather decide to not put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. So you have to make a decision. And this is why I think this verse or this set of scriptures is so good for us right now. Because can we just be honest? Quarantine life probably hasn't done wonders for your relationships, right? I mean, you put a bunch of sinners together in a house on lockdown for weeks on end, it's probably going to lead to World War III in your own house, right? It, it, it brings out things in us. And, and relationally, again, we need to assume the position within our own homes and with those that we relate to to say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to pass judgment on you, but rather I'm going to decide to assume the best and help you by not being a hindrance to you, by not putting anything in your way. Now, that word decide there, and I've said this before, the word decide it has a root word, side, which means to kill or destroy. So that word, that's why you see it in homicide. When you, that word, same root word, it means to kill another human being, right? Genocide means to kill a generation of people. And so when you see the word decide, you're, when you make a decision, you're killing off one option. You're destroying one option and you're going with this option. So I want you to think about it like this. What Paul is saying is you need to kill off the option. You need to kill off the part of you that naturally tries to kill people with criticism. You need to kill off the part of you that naturally just starts to pass judgment on people. You need to decide, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to kill that option and I'm going to assume the best and I'm going to do everything I can to help out my brother or my sister. And the reason, again, I think this is so timely is because if we're not careful, our default position as Christians, again, because we also have a flesh, is just to naturally be one of criticism, just to naturally be people 
that always assume the worst. To be honest with you, there's really no difference between Christian Twitter and non-Christian, non-Christian, listen to me, non-Christian Twitter. Christian Facebook, non-Christian Facebook, right? Christian Instagram, non-Christian Instagram. And, and honestly, I think as Christians, our default posture towards those that we love, but towards those that maybe we don't love, and even those that are in positions of authority, should not just automatically come to a conclusion that we're going to criticize everything that they do. Because here's what I know about leadership. Again, being a church leader, being a husband, being a father, leadership is tough. And there's a lot of decisions that I have made as leaders that maybe weren't the best decision. And even you know, being at home during quarantine, doing the best that we can to work from home, to school our kids from home. You have to do the best that you can under the circumstances. But if we're not careful, we can just naturally start to criticize people in leadership or people that we just naturally think that we would do better if we were in their positions. And we fail to understand, you know what? They're probably just doing the best that they can under the circumstances. And our default position towards them, if it's one of criticism, then it's one of we're thinking we're better. And that in lies the problem. That's why I think Paul says, listen, don't be just passing judgment on them, but help them. Rather decide, make a decision. I'm not going to, that part of me that naturally want to criticize is I'm killing that part off. I'm, I'm dying to my flesh. And there's a new part of me in Christ where my default position should be to help them. And he goes on, look at this in verse 14. He says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if you love your brother, or for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Now, Paul is applying, applying the principle of you know, loving our neighbor or loving our brother, of not passing judgment. He's applying that principle to specific instance here of saying, by what you eat. Now, the reason why is because when people came to Christ, particularly in the first century, there was some confusion because, again, Jesus was Jewish. All the first disciples were Jewish. And so there was this debate that arose. Again, you can go read this in Acts, really from kind of Acts 10 to Acts 15. Because in Acts 10, Peter has this vision where he sees all this food and he says, I won't eat that. And God says, I've made it clean. And then he meets a guy that naturally would have not eaten the same way that he had to eat. And he had to make a decision of like, all right, am I going to just kind of take this posture towards, I can't eat these things. I can't talk to those people. And so what you see transpire in the book of Acts is, and it leads finally to a decision that the early Christians didn't have to become Jewish in order to become Christian. And here's what I mean by that. There was all these laws in the Old Testament about ceremonial laws, dietary laws that people had to follow. And some of those laws, again, I've mentioned this before, would be really hard for us in the South to follow because one of them is you couldn't eat pork, all right? Couldn't eat shrimp, other kinds of things like that. So thank God because of Christ, we can eat bacon now, all right? And so the idea was when you came to Christ, the debate was, do I have to follow all those rules? Do I have to get circumcised? Thank God, that's baptism now, all right? And so the concept of, or the debate was arising of like, oh, I can eat these foods or I can't eat these foods. So Paul's applying this principle of passing judgment to a specific instance here. He's saying, listen, 
in Christ now, everything's clean. Everything's clean. Everything's, as far as food laws are concerned, you can eat it all. But there's also another principle at work here. The principle at work is he says this, but you are no, if, you, if you just eat what you want and your brother's grieved by it, you're no longer walking in love. So here's what I want you to see. In Christ, we have the freedom now to eat everything. We have the freedom now. We're not bound by these religious set of laws that we got to do this or we can't do that. Now, again, we're talking about things that are not sin, all right? Because eating bacon isn't a sin. And so things that the New Testament you know, specifically prohibits, that's not a debate. And so these would be things like open-handed issues. There's a difference between closed-handed issues and open-handed issues. Closed-handed issues would be things that are necessary for salvation. You know, Jesus is the only way, the Trinity. Uh, God is one in three, three in one. The Bible is the inspired word of God. God is the creator. All the the things that are closed-handed issues. But there's open-handed issues about, okay, what we eat, what days are more important than other days. There's now freedom to choose. And so we now live under freedom. Galatians 5.1, if Christ has set you free, you're free, right? But there's another law at work, Paul says. And that law is, yes, we live under the law of freedom now, but we also live under the law of love. So yes, I am free to eat anything. However, there's another law that is operating if my brother is grieved. And that word there, grieve, literally is the word distressed. Like losing sleep over something. Like something that I'm doing that my brother or sister thinks is a sin. If they're distressed over that and I say, well, you know what? I'm free to do it. I don't care what you think. Then I'm living in my freedom, but I'm not living in love. And Paul's bringing these two things together. And Martin Luther, I think, said it the best in in one of his best books, very small, which is one of the reasons I like it. But he said on Christian liberty, he said, the Christian is free Lord of all, but also servant to all. So we are free from all those rules. However, if there are brothers and sisters in Christ that we love that are grieved by something we're doing, then out of love for them, I will go forego some of my freedoms. And that's what we have to understand. Paul's getting at this, this tension of like, listen, yeah, when it comes to Christ, you're free. But when it comes to a community, you still have to live with one another. And when you live with one another, naturally, there's going to be disagreements. There's going to be, again, think about your house over the last couple of months, all right? There's naturally some disagreements that come up. And your default position towards that is not one to pass judgment if people don't understand. In fact, I think one of the best things that we can do is seek to understand, not just to be understood. And so in this text, Paul's saying specifically when it comes to food, says, listen, yeah, maybe you're not obligated now because of Christ to follow that law, but you are obligated by the law of love. You are obligated to think, man, what are my actions going to cause other people to think? Now he goes on, look at verse 16. He says, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
Now, verse 16, he says, do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Now, the difference here, what he's saying is when people think that eating certain things or drinking something is evil, you can believe, no, that's not evil. The Bible says it's not evil. It is not a sin to do that. He said, so you can, you can understand that like, or you can have a conversation with somebody that says, no, I don't think that's evil. I think we're free to do that. But then he says, but understand at the end of the day, the kingdom of God is not about eating or drinking. And so the best way to think about it when it comes to closed-handed issues and open-handed issues is these we want unity about, but open-handed issues we want charity about. So these we want unity, these we're going to hold loosely. And, and when I understand that, like, hey, we can agree to disagree whether or not we should eat pork. We can agree to disagree. You'll see this in just a minute, whether we should drink wine. But we should both agree that this isn't as important as this. That these issues aren't as important. The kingdom of God at the end of the day is not about eating or drinking. The kingdom of God at the end of the day, he says, is about righteousness. It's about peace and joy. Now, I want you to think about those two things. Righteousness, the Bible says we are made righteous in Christ. So righteousness is at the root of our faith. Righteous means to be made right with God. And so the way that you're made right with God is not by following all the rules. The way that you're made right with God is having faith in the one who did follow all the rules, and that's Christ. And he followed that in your place, and he took your law-breaking on himself. So he took your unrighteousness. He gave you his righteousness. That's at the root of our faith. And then I love how he says, and then peace and joy. If you look in Galatians 5, where Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And so those are two fruits. And so what you're seeing here is the root, righteousness, and fruit, peace and joy. So those two things, is, or, or these two, the idea of root and fruit, that's what the kingdom of God is about. It's not about food. It's not about drinking. And so what he's getting at here is we need to agree on that. And then we can agree to disagree about these things. But how do we do that? Look at verse 18 and 19. He says, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Verse 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbringing. Let us pursue what makes for peace. You know, back in verse 13, he says, let us not pass judgment. Now he says, let us pursue peace. And those two things are going to bring together my point. And so if you're taking notes today, you can write this down. It's kind of the main, main idea, big idea of the message today. It's this. I'm going to say it two different ways. It's hard to pursue peace when you are passing judgment. It's hard to pursue peace when you're passing judgment. Now said another way, it's hard to pass judgment when you are pursuing peace. It's hard to pass judgment when you are pursuing peace. So again, let's put these together. Paul says, let us not pass judgment any longer. Why? Because we're all going to be judged by God. We're all on the same plane. And that is what humbles me. Again, if I take the position of judgment, I'm exalting myself. And I think, oh, I'm better than that person. But I don't know about you. The idea of standing before God scares me. So that humbles me. So he says, let us not pass judgment. And then he says in verse 19, let us pursue peace and mutual upbuilding. So here's these two things. 
It's hard to pursue peace if you're constantly focusing on passing judgment. So for those of us who in Christ, who unfortunately still have a critical spirit and we're constantly passing judgment, not only are we taking the place of Jesus, but we're not doing what Jesus did, which was pursuing peace. Because it's really hard to pursue peace if you're constantly passing judgment. I mean, think about this in your relationships. If you're married, if you have kids, your work environments, it's really hard to pursue peace in the relationship if you're constantly just passing judgment on the other person. In fact, you're pursuing the opposite of peace. And when you're passing judgment, you're pursuing war, right? And that's why a lot of times we war in our relationships. Because if you're passing judgment, more than likely... You're not pursuing peace. But here's the flip side of it. When you're pursuing peace, it's really hard to pass judgment. Again, the few times I'm on Twitter or Instagram or or, or see some Facebook stuff, it, it just amazes me sometimes about how critical people are. You know, people talk about, man, it's all social media's fault. Who do you think's behind social media? I think social media's fault. It's humans' faults. All social media did was give us a voice to show what was already going on in your heart. Back in the day, you might not have said it face to face, but now behind a keyboard, you might. And what amazes me is how did people have so much time to get online and be critical? Like, like for real, I don't have that much time to get online and criticize and pass judgment on everybody. And I'm not trying to act like I'm all holy. Trust me, just ask my wife. I'm not. But, but the thought process is this. When I'm a person that's trying to pursue peace, I really don't have time to pass judgment on a lot of people. When I am trying to pursue peace and mutual upbuilding, you really don't have time or energy to be a person who's passing judgment. I love how he uses this word mutual upbuilding. Again, we'll get into this more next week in Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. But just a word on this. This word here, upbuilding, literally means, now listen to this, bringing someone closer to completion. Bringing someone closer to completion. I want you to think about this. If I'm constantly passing judgment on somebody, is that bringing them closer to completion? But if I'm pursuing peace and upbuilding, then I'm bringing them closer to completion. What is completion? So what we talked about last week, if you were here on Mother's Day, until Christ is formed in you. So completion is me looking like Christ. And so now my default position, your default position towards those that we are in relationship with should be to be the person that is pursuing peace and their completion. But if I'm constantly passing judgment and being critical, let's be honest, I'm not pursuing their upbuilding. I'm pursuing their tearing down. I'm, I'm going the wrong direction with this thing. And that is the most destructive force in relationships. It's interesting to me, you can go back and read this at another time, but, but in Luke chapter 10, when Jesus sends out his disciples, he sends out the 72, he gives them instructions. And he sends them out, and then he says to go to cities to do certain things. And he says, look for the person of peace. 
And if they have peace and their peace rests on you, then you'll be blessed and you'll get to bless that city. But if there is not a person of peace, their peace won't, your peace won't be on them. You won't get to bless that city. In fact, he says that city will be worse off than Sodom and Gomorrah. What is Jesus saying there? He says, when you go into a city, find the person of peace. Why? Here's what I want you to understand. Because the person of peace is normally the person who has the most influence in that city. Because let me ask you a simple question. Do you want to be friends with the person who's constantly passing judgment? Or do you want to be friends with the person who is pursuing peace? Because here's what I know. If I am friends with the person that is constantly passing judgment, it's only a matter of time before they pass judgment on me. It's only a matter of time before they think they're better than me. And I don't want a friend like that. You don't want a friend like that. And if you don't have any friends like that, guess what? You may be that friend. That may be you. Now, don't elbow anybody next to you or text somebody right now, all right? But, but just simply, here's what I want you to say. See, if you are not pursuing peace, you're costing yourself influence with people. You're costing yourself influence. Jesus, I mean, that was part of the discipleship, missionary, evangelism strategy. When he sent them out, he said, find the person of peace. Because through that person of peace, the peace will come on that city. Why? Because a person of peace, people love. They have influence with. But a person that's critical and always passing judgment, not only are you not going to influence them, but you will more than likely be influenced by them. And Jesus says, if that happens, move on to the next place. So here's what I want you to see. Again, this is why this is great for this time. We want to pursue peace and not be the type of people that pass judgment. We want to pursue peace and be the type of people that are helping others get closer to their completion in Christ. Now, Paul goes on. Look at verse 20. He says, do not for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. Verse 21, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Now, let's stop and chat here just for a second. We've already said the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. That's not what's most important. And in Christ, we are free to eat and we are free Yes, to even drink wine. The Bible gives clarity when it says, do not be drunk with wine. We all can agree that that is a sin. Also, the Bible talks about being gluttonous. And so when the Bible talks about things that God gives that are good, but then they go into excess, then it becomes sinful. But here he says, listen, everything is clean. So is it a sin to drink wine? No. But is it a sin to get drunk? Yes. But at the end of the day, there's going to be brothers and sisters that might think drinking wine is a sin or eating, eating certain things is a sin. And then he says, it's not good in the, your relationship with that brother or sister to say, you know what? I've got the freedom to do it. I don't care what you think because you're not walking in love and you're causing them to stumble. Now, this word here, stumble, again, if you haven't grown up in church, you, you may not have felt this, but the word, again, I didn't grow up in church, but then when I did, it was a small East Texas church. 
And, and people just kind of throw out this word of like, well, I can't ever drink because it's going to cause someone to stumble. Well, the idea of stumbling is, is not just people that disagree with you. Like you agree that it's not a sin and they disagree with you that it is a sin and they're going to stumble because they don't agree with you. That's not what he's saying. The idea of stumbling means causing them to sin. And so there may be some people that maybe they're newer to the faith and, and maybe in their past life, they really struggled with drinking or they really struggle with eating or they really struggle with something in their life. And even though now in Christ you have freedom, but you realize, hey, they're newer in faith and, and they don't have all the fruits of the spirit yet. They don't have self-control and self-discipline. And if I exercise my freedom with them, then for them, it may cause them to stumble. It may cause them to sin. And that kind of situational place, that's where we say, okay, then I'm going to forgo my freedoms for the sake of this brother, for the sake of this sister, because I care more about their completion than I do exercising my freedom. And this is where we have to be careful, because again, depending upon your upbringing or how you grew up, people would just kind of throw this word around that causing someone to stumble is meaning that anybody that disagrees with you, so therefore you're causing them to stumble if you do it. But it's really has, it's situational, it's nuanced. And the idea is, you know what? I do have freedom, yes. But if exercising my freedom in your presence is going to cause you to sin, then I'm going to forgo my freedoms. And so you have to learn how to apply this. And this is why it's hard, especially in a sermon context like this, to give a blanket statement. Again, we all can agree gluttony is bad. We can all agree drunkenness is bad. But it's kind of funny thing about that. People always like to point out the drunkenness, but not the gluttonous part, all right? So you have people railing against drunkenness, you know, stuffing their face with Chick-fil-A. You know, so let's just be honest here. We got to apply it equally. The, the point simply is this. We all need to understand that, yes, in Christ we're free. Everything's clean. But we all need to apply it situationally with who we're with and think, okay, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? Why? Because my ultimate goal is to build them up. My ultimate goal is to pursue peace with this person. And if eating something or drinking something will disrupt the peace that I have with this person, then it's not worth it. And that's why Paul is giving directions to the church. He's saying, listen, there are things more important. And, and here's what the, the phrase that, man, just slays me. He says, for the sake of food, do not destroy the work of God. Church, hear me. It grieves me to think about times I may have destroyed the work of God in someone else simply because of my preferences. Like, it cuts me to think that I might have destroyed what God was doing in somebody simply because I was critical or passing judgment. And that is the point. All of us need to think, you know what? My goal is not past judgment. My goal is pursuing peace and building up. So what can I do? This goes way beyond eating and drinking. It's whatever I can do to help. Look at verse 22. It says, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Now, a little word on this. 
It's interesting to me, he says, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Now, we know that we're supposed to share our faith. The Bible clearly says that. But it looks like the Bible's contradicting itself here. It says the faith that you have, keep between you and God. Well, in this particular context, again, he's not talking about sharing salvation with unbelievers. That we know, even though it's personal, it's never supposed to be private. We are to share that. Jesus tells us, go into all the world, make disciples. But what he's getting at here, again, is open-handed issues. Things that you have personal convictions about. Things about eating or drinking or which day is better than another day. He says that? Keep between you and God. Why? Because that's a personal conviction, not a public conviction. You know, there are public convictions we have as Christians. Again, I've already kind of referenced them. Christ is the only way. That's a conviction we have. God is three in one. That's a conviction we have. The Bible is the inspired word of God. That's a conviction we have publicly. But there are private convictions that you might have about whether or not you do drink alcohol or not whether you do eat bacon or not, all right? Whether you're kosher or not, whether you esteem one day better than the next, how you handle certain things. That's a personal conviction. And here's what Paul's saying. You can never take your personal convictions and use those as a measurement for someone else's holiness. You can never take your personal convictions and pass judgment on other people and say, you know what? They're not as holy as me. Because let me let you in on a little secret. If you do that, you're not near as holy as you thought because you've become a Pharisee. And Jesus is saying, or Paul is saying, really Jesus through Paul, saying those personal convictions, man, that's good, that's yours, but that's between you and the Lord. And then the last verse, he gives this, verse 23, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin from whatever. This is what I was saying. It's not, it's, it's whatever, whatever doesn't proceed from faith is sin. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And here's what I want you to, to see. We're going to close with, you know, we trust Christ in faith. It's a matter of faith. What I was talking about earlier, his righteousness becomes ours. That's a faith step. But we don't just trust Christ in faith. We also follow Christ in faith. So yes, we trust him in faith, but we follow him in faith. So even beyond every day past when you trusted Christ, you're still walking in faith. You, you never don't have faith. You're exercising that faith. So here's what he's saying. Again, going back to that personal conviction. Whatever the Lord leads you to, that's a matter of faith that it's from the Lord and you're going to live that out. There is freedom in Christ. There are no laws now that you have to follow to be made right with God. Christ has made you right. And there may be some of you today that you've never taken that first step of faith and trusting Christ. And that is your move today. But then there's some of you that you've already trusted Christ. But you may automatically have kind of taken the position of passing judgment in other, on others and not pursuing peace. I want you to understand something. You can't pursue peace and upbringing or upbuilding without faith. It's a faith step. Because again, your flesh, why do you pass judgment? 
You pass judgment because your flesh feels better. But you won't pursue peace unless you have faith that God's way is better. And so when you're pursuing peace and you're pursuing the mutual upbringing, that's an act of faith because you are banking on what the word of God says. And so you live out your faith by following the personal convictions that the Holy Spirit gives you and then living out what he commands us to do. And so as we wrap this up this week, again, I think this is a very timely message for all of us. To say, you know what? I don't want to be the type of person that passes judgment. I want to be the type of person in my house that pursues peace and mutual upbringing. I'm going to do everything I can to bring people closer to completion. And I'm going to exercise my faith that if I do that, that if I follow God's ways, I'll get God's will. That if I love my spouse the way I'm supposed to, I can have the fruit of a good marriage. If I don't exercise judgment and I do go for peace, it'll actually work out. And that's how we live this faith out. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word as always. And God, I thank you that your word is so practical It's so timely for us. God, it is so easy for us to take this position of passing judgment and being critical on others. And God, we just forget sometimes that people are just doing the best they can under the circumstances. And when we just are the people who pass judgment, then we lose influence in their life to actually be a person of peace, an agent of change, and work with you towards their completion. So God, help us to pursue peace. Help us to join you in that formation process. But God, there may be some people today that are watching that have never trusted Jesus. They have never exercised faith to trust Christ and haven't received the righteousness that you offer. Maybe it's because they're afraid of judgment. They're afraid of thinking there's no way God could love someone like me. Well, the good news of the gospel is Christ took our place for our sin and you judged him. And now we can receive by faith grace. So God, I pray for anybody today who's not trusted you. I pray right now you'd open their eyes and save them. As, as always, we can just take this moment to reflect And if you're listening today and you've never exercised that faith and trusted Christ, then today you can be saved. Today you can be made righteous. You can be at peace with God. Because instead of Jesus judging you, he came and took the judgment for you to give you peace with God. When he comes the second time, make no mistake, he will come to judge. And we will face that judgment. But if you trust Christ now, you can have peace with God, be made righteous, and be saved. So if that's you, if you want to trust Christ, you can pray with me. You can do it out loud or you can do it to yourself. Either way, that's fine. But it goes like this. Say, Father, 
Thank you for loving me. That you sent your son Jesus in my place for my sin. I ask you to save me. Forgive me. I want peace with you. I give you my life. Thank you for Christ. And by faith, I'm saved. Now, if you just prayed that with me, then the Bible says you're at peace with God. And there may be some of you here today that you've already trusted Christ. But if you were honest with me, you haven't been living like Christ. You haven't been living out the gospel by doing the same thing Jesus did by not passing judgment and pursuing peace. And today I want to encourage you that if you continue to take the place of judgment, then you will lose influence. But if by God's grace you repent of that and start pursuing peace and being a type of person that builds up others, then God will give you influence and you'll have a greater opportunity to have more people now be at peace with God through your being a person that pursues that peace with them. So Christians, don't miss this opportunity, man. We have a unique opportunity to be people who aren't passing judgment, who are pursuing peace and mutual upbringing so that more and more people can be at peace with God. Father, thank you again, as always. And would you empower us, God, to be people of peace that are pursuing peace, that we're not passing judgment, God, but we're pursuing peace so that people can have peace with you because that's what we want. In Jesus' name, amen.